Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Many people believe that RPA, or Robotic Process Automation, is one of the fastest growing categories in enterprise software at the moment. But what exactly is RPA and how is it going to change the way we work? On this episode of Future of Tech, we invited Guy Kirkwood, the chief evangelist at UiPath, to give us the inside scoop. As it turns out, the widespread fear that robots will eliminate jobs for millions of people is actually backward thinking. In fact, Guy explains that as RPA continues to evolve, the technology will ultimately be a net job promoter. Why is that? Because RPA isn't actually about robots at all. RPA is simply software that runs other software, eliminating repetitive tasks and freeing up humans to innovate, create, and work on more complicated work. Despite those facts though, RPA adoption is still an ongoing process. Where are we on the adoption timeline and how close are we to a future where everyone has their own RPA robot working for them? Find out that and more on this episode. Enjoy. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So, Guy, I'd like to uh, welcome you uh, now officially to a new chapter of our new episode of uh, Future of Tech. And uh, I believe, you know, the first thing we're going to speak about uh, RPAs or uh, robotic process automation and probably some other stuff. Maybe uh, we should start with you introducing the topic and the field and what is it all about? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. And thank you very much indeed for, uh, for inviting me, uh, Avishai. Um, okay, so uh, RPA, robotic process automation. So uh, it's not robotic. It hasn't, doesn't deal with, uh, with processes, at least not until uh, fairly recently. So it's, it's very poorly uh, described by its name. The name was actually created by an analyst called Phil First and um, Blue Prism, who were the inventors of RPA. Um, Blue Prism is a, a, a British firm uh, floated on the secondary market, the AIM market in the, in the UK. And Blue Prism has done a phenomenal job of creating, essentially creating a category. Uh, a software category. What does RPA do? RPA is, uh, it allows organizations and people to move information through and between systems. So you can think of it like 
an Excel macro, but A, an Excel macro that can deal with any two pieces of software. So that could be everything from mainframe green screen applications right the way to, through to the latest uh, web apps and everything in between. So uh, business process management, BPM, ERP, enterprise resource planning, CRM, customer relationship management, office documents, emails, PDF documents, uh, paper. And RPA is able to read, understand, and deal with all of those in exactly the same way that you or I do as humans. That is the strength of RPA in that there, are, there really is no limit to where it can be used. If you wind forward from 2002 when Blue Prism created um, RPA to about 2015, 2014, 2015, uh, a second organization came onto the market, which was uh, Automation Anywhere. And then in uh, about uh, 2016 or thereabouts, although the company had been around for a lot longer, um, there was uh, the company I work for, which is called UiPath. That's U-I-P-A-T-H. UiPath came on the scene. Um, most people don't know what the UI stands for, but it's user interface. And so it's the user interface path. That's where the name comes from. And that makes a lot of sense because that's what the software does. It operates not at an API level, not on a, on a system-to-system basis, but through the user interface, through reading and understanding and transacting software using software. So that's what RPA is. Um, the market is growing incredibly quickly, and it's generally considered to be the fastest growing uh, enterprise software category at the moment. And uh, you know, all of the uh, RPA vendors, uh, of which there are other than the, those three, there are a whole number of uh, organizations uh, are all doing uh, very well in the market. So that sort of gives you an idea. Yeah, a glimpse which we probably dive more into. You also mentioned in, in, in an article, I believe, uh, that robotics will become net job promoters. They will create more jobs than they eliminate. Yeah. Okay, so that's one of the big myths. Whenever anyone thinks about the future of work, thinks about artificial intelligence or automation, then they always think about the, the worry about their jobs. So if you think about the first industrial revolution, so you know, prior to that, the world economies were all agrarian, everyone worked in the fields. And the first industrial revolution, which uh, started with the thing, inventions like the spinning jenny, um, and then ultimately led to the invention of the steam engine, the jobs moved from the fields into factories. So those jobs didn't disappear. The jobs on the farms did, but those jobs moved into a more mechanized uh, work. If you go find forward to, the, to what this is generally considered to be the, the AI world, which is the, the fourth industrial revolution, fourth industrial revolution, we'll, we'll see exactly the same thing. So there will be jobs that are uh, eliminated in the same way the farming jobs were, were eliminated and, and to a greater extent with, um, with automation back then. But there are going to be more jobs created. Uh, and it's not just us saying that. The World Economic Forum and uh, the European Union and uh, the United Nations all are looking at the way that the world of work is changing. So we describe what we do, what UiPath does, as, it, you know, as, a, as the category that alters uh, and shapes the way that people will work. 
Does that mean that uh, every job will be the same? No, of course not. So if you take the world of shared services and outsourcing, for instance, that was built up over the last 20, 30 years because it was cheaper to get people to do the same work, but in low-cost locations than it was in your country of origin, in, say, Tel Aviv or in London or in New York. And it was cheaper to do that in, uh, in, in Vietnam or uh, in Bangalore or Mumbai. And that's how that business model was, was set up, because it was just the same work, but done more cheaply and more efficiently as well. If you wind forward to now, automation of the jobs it's going to replace will be those jobs that are already been put into shared service and outsourcing generally. So I think over the next few years that we're going to see the number of people involved in, in back office, corporate functions, finance and accounting, procurement, human resources, and so on, is going to reduce over time. Not because they're going to be thousands of redundancies, but because people will move on to different jobs or they will leave the company and they won't be replaced because more and more of that activity is going to get automated. In fact, Automation Anywhere, uh, which is our main competitor, um, actually said that everything that w- can be automated will be. And I think it's a very good description of the, the way the future will, will lie. So can you give me an example of something? So it's, it's clear because you gave a few examples about um, some professions that are going to disappear or being reduced dramatically. What, what are, can you give me one or two examples of things or new things that are going to, uh, to appear in this? Yeah, I mean, you could, you know, apart from, <laughs> you will get you know, jobs like bot wrangler and other, uh, other weird jobs that, that really don't exist at the moment. So the number of, number of people involved in, in r- building, running, maintaining, analyzing the robot workforce effectively the digital workforce uh, will increase and that's directly to uh, an effect of the uh, of, of automation but indirectly i think that as the number of jobs in operations reduce i think we're going to see a concurrent a concomitant increase in the number of people involved in customer experience so if you think about it if you look look forward you know, several, you know, several years, or in fact, probably even a decade away, the mixture between full-time employment and, or the ratio between full-time employment and gig economy, I believe is going to reverse. So at the moment, about 70% of, of jobs are full-time employment and 30% are gig economy. I think that's going to reverse over the next few years. As people become more used to working not only with multiple companies simultaneously, but working not sequentially, but concurrently. So you will need the ability for that person to work most effectively with a plethora of different technologies that sit within the different pieces, different businesses that they work for uh, over that time. And that's where attended automation or you know, a digital assistant will really help with that. In terms of other jobs that are going to be created, there will be a whole series of, of new roles opened up, and I think mainly in customer service. So if I say that the, the back office operational number of people will be reduced, I think there will be an increase in the number of people doing customer experience. Why? It's because I believe that customer intimacy, customer experience will be one of the key differentiators, along with culture of an organization, that will dictate whether it's successful or not in the next few years. So that customer intimacy 
will be more important than how you run your business from an operational standpoint. Okay, that's very interesting and we'll come back to it uh, shortly, but I would like maybe to pause a bit and speak a bit about your uh, history or about your you know, personal history. How, di- how did it all start in terms of how, when, when was it the first time that you understood that you're going to touch technology? Well, actually, pretty early on, uh, right back at university, actually. So um, my first degree is in psychology, and I was looking at the way the brain assimilates information. And um, the university asked me to do a, uh, uh, a master's um, and actually set up a technology business to work on something called CBT, computer-based training. Um, and by the way, I am so old that our first lesson was how to use a mouse. I'm not kidding. So I knew from the work that I'd done my first degree that the way that the most efficient way that people learn isn't sequentially. I'm talking about sequential and concurrent here. Um, but it, it's not, you know, you go through a book from beginning to end and then you, you know everything. You need to jump around because that's the way that the brain works. And I couldn't find a piece of software that would actually allow us to do that until I came across a small um, company in Edinburgh called OWL, that's O-W-L as in Twitwoo OWL. And no one's ever heard of this business except that one of the directors was Tim Berners-Lee. So what we were using to build our CBT, our computer-based training uh, platform, was the precursor of what became HTML, um, that, of course, the, uh, the entire web is built on. So I've been interested in technology since then. Um, I was talking to a journalist uh, a couple of months ago, actually, and um, you know, they asked me to go through my career, and I laughed because you know, I, haven't, I haven't had a career. I've had a collection of jobs sitting on the look of my LinkedIn profile. I go, how on earth did you manage to go from tech to publishing to army to headhunting uh, to outsourcing uh, and then into automation? And frankly, I haven't got a clue. But every job that, that I've done has led to the next one. And, and it was really in 2015, 2014, 2015, when I got involved with, with automation, because the team that I worked with used what became UiPath technology. It wasn't called UiPath then, but it, was, uh, it used that technology to, uh, to automate um, the order processing for, uh, for one of our customers. In fact, we were the first customer of what became UiPath. That's how I got into it. Interesting. And uh, the first interaction with, with robotics, um, actually, you, you, you started saying that, um, you know, what you're doing today is not, or the, the field itself has nothing to do with uh, robotics. So it's more of automation, you would say? Well, I mean, it's not, it's not hardware robots. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, we, we, we had customers asking, you know, how, how we stop the, the robots pressing the screen too hard. Um, this isn't what we do. What we, what we create is software that runs software. So these, these software robots, remember I said right at the beginning that, that they're not robots at all. And RPA started just doing tasks. So it wasn't robotic and it wasn't process, uh, but it is now. So the, the processing part is just processing the same way that humans do. So uh, that's the why it's so effective at what it does. And also, incidentally, why business, le- uh, business leaders are adopting um, RPA much faster than, say, technology. Because business leaders can use it themselves, well, in fact, business, business people can use it themselves um, without the need to go to IT. Now, that has got us into trouble, which we can talk about. But Maybe uh, share with us uh, a bit more about that. So how do you use it or how do you start? Maybe let's start there. All right, how do you start? Any organization that wants to grow very fast and scale very fast, yeah. they need to do 
two things. One is that they need to make as much of it available for free as possible. So you get the maximum number of people using it. So in other words, democratize the use. The second thing you need to do is make it as easy as, uh, to use as possible so that the maximum number of people can actually use it and find it useful. And that's what we did. So um, the first thing to do to, to make it uh, accessible to as many people as possible is that any individual or startup, you know, any organization that's only below or re- uh, generating revenues below $5 million can use, use the UiPath platform entirely free of charge forever. And all of our training and uh, training is free as well. So we've had 750,000 people go through our training courses around the world. So that, that gets a large chunk of people that, that start to use the, the software. And actually, it's the business people that are using it because they can, they can build their own robots. They can build their own software using drag and drop and no-code, low-code type activities to actually create something that will, will automate the bits of their job that they hate. It's basically what it boils down to. So RPA allows you to do to automate the really boring, repetitive, um, rubbish tasks that you have to do to do your to do your job. Anything where you're cutting and pasting between two different applications, or where you are having to drag stuff off the internet um, on a daily basis to you know produce a report. All of that activity can be automated. And the business people are actually doing it. So interestingly, about two years ago, uh, when we had about half a million people who'd gone through, the, uh, through our courses, actually it was a bit less than that, I think, about 9% of our revenues um, came from India. But 60% of the people that were going through the courses were based in India. So that told us that it wasn't businesses, it wasn't executives of organizations that were saying, thou shalt automate then but it was the people sitting in the shared service centers, in those outsourcing operations, in those captive operations in India, moving information through between the systems, which I mentioned before, that recognized that their job was going to change. And therefore, they trained themselves up. And these were business people. These weren't techies. These are business people who trained themselves up on the technology so that they could stay ahead of the way the market was, was going. And that was very successful. Now, today, it's recognized from top down and bottom up. So bottom up is still happening. So someone in their, uh, in their operation automates something, goes and waves it under their boss's nose and say, look what I managed to do. And their boss would then get in touch with us. That was what happened traditionally. Now with automation and AI and COVID forcing digital transformation on organizations, it's the C-suites of organizations that are now coming to us saying, we need to be more, much more efficient. We need to automate as much as we possibly can. So we have, we have a double whammy, if you, if you like. We've got that bottom-up and the top-down activity happening today. Yeah. And how do you see, you've mentioned it earlier, how do you see AI contributing to this uh, ecosystem? Yeah, I, mean, I, I got famous a couple of years ago by saying AI is bollocks. Um, it sort of went viral. Um, mainly because organizations, you know, at that time, a couple of years ago, we were saying, you know, we need AI. AI is the big thing. We need, we need AI, desperately need for, for AI. And frankly, they had no idea what they were talking about. AI is a collection of tools that will allow you to do stuff that normally would take humans and human minds. So you can think about RPA as the, as the fingers doing the work. And you can think about AI as the brain that actually drives the fingers. And the best way that we've, we found to describe it is, is actually in four understandings. So the four understandings are 
visual understanding. So the system has to understand everything on the screen in the same way that you or I do as humans. Because as things move, you know, as the underlying applications get changed or, uh, or a business task changes, when, when something changes, that traditionally broke the robot because it had to rely on a, an XY coordinate. But now using computer vision, it doesn't matter where anything is on the screen. Um, it will recognize first name, last name, address, invoice number, whatever it might be, in exactly the same way that you or I do. So that's visual understanding. The second one is document understanding because you know, we're still waiting around in paper. Uh, the paperless office was supposed to come in the 60s, um, never appeared, still waiting around in paper. So you have to understand what's on that piece of paper, regardless of what sort of, uh, whether it's a printed or uh, whether it's a PDF or, or even handwriting, as the technology's moved on now, and be able to transact them, be able to deal with that. And that's document understanding. Next one is process understanding. And that's important because you have to identify which processes are going to be most appropriate for automation. And so things like process mining and task capture uh, are used for process understanding. So the output of that at the moment is the superstructure or the framework that you actually use to use to build the robot. Ultimately, the robots will build themselves, but we can come to that. Um, And then finally, you've got conversational understanding because more and more both software and the way that we interact with software is through natural language at the moment most of it through chatbots but ultimately that's going to be voice and in order for that to work you need to write what's known as ontologies necessary to understand the difference between the different words that are appropriate to an industry or a, a, a process or a, a particular process so those four understandings are contain a whole load of tools, AI tools, in terms of things like named entity recognition, machine learning, um, computer vision, which I mentioned, um, natural language understanding, and so on and so forth. But it's easy to understand if you think about those four understandings. And to an extent, do you, you believe that AI will enable the robots or the, the, the software to learn and teach itself new functions and eventually, you know, become better and better? Yes. I mean, it's already happening. The software is improving all the time, both from us and, and our competitors. The whole market is moving towards intelligent automation. Uh, we just call it automation, but you know, it's, it's instilling those skills necessary for learning and getting better and improving over time that all of the platforms are building in. And in fact, you know, ultimately, you know, we, we, we're moving towards the, the stage where, where you won't have to build the robot at all or in fact, fix the robot, um, because that will all happen automatically. So you get self-building robots and then self-healing robots. We're not there yet, but that's the direction of travel. So indulge me for a minute. And so everybody understands the field, automation, everybody probably understands the imperative. So what will be the difference between one company and, and the other? I suppose having, a, having an automation-first mindset is, is probably the, the critical difference. Because automation, RPA, AI, all of these things as part of the digital transformation, 80%, I mean, IDC have said that 80% of, of these type of digital transformation projects are still tactical. They're not strategic. So bringing that, bringing that automation first, that digital first mindset into an organization makes a dramatic difference where everyone is, is moving in the same direction. Uh, now, bear in mind, of course, that Some people are worried about that because they fear for their jobs. 
But essentially, the, if everyone's moving in the same direction, it makes it much more likely that the organization is going to be successful. And that direction of travel ultimately leads to the situation where the company mandates everyone in their organization having their own robot. If you think back to late 70s, early 80s, Bill Gates uh, of Microsoft stood up and said, uh, as a spotty teenager, and said that uh, he envisaged a time when every household and every desk would have a computer. And by the way, he got laughed at. We now think that everyone is going to have their own software robot, their own digital assistant, partly unattended. So that's the stuff that you never want to see again. It just automates it and it just disappears into the, into the woodwork and partly attended to help you to do the stuff that you do want to do. And it will be a combination of both of those. Uh, and some companies are already there. So PwC, um, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, started a project last year where they gave all of their US employees a, uh, a UiPath robot. Uh, and that was so successful that they're now rolling it out around the world. So all 280-odd thousand people in PwC will have their own robot. Uh, and that's just one organization. We have a number that are moving down that, that direction. Okay. That sounds indeed uh, a big transformation mindset also. And then, uh, so such a thing like PWC that you've mentioned or others um, needs to grow from probably from management decision. It doesn't come up from uh, the ground up. Correct. Yeah. And in such a case, what would be... The first steps that you would uh, encourage management uh, to do when they want to uh, adopt uh, robotics uh, throughout the, uh, the company? Uh, well, that's a really good question. And it's something that we've been working on quite, quite heavily over the last few years. So we've, we, along with, I mean, I, I like analysts. I like, you know, the boys and girls in Forrester and Gartner and Everest and IDC. You know, those organizations, they're fantastic because they're like priests were 200 years ago. They know everything about what's going to happen before it happens. So they're really good people to go off and do some research. So we commissioned several pieces of work from the, from the analysts over, over the last few years. And with the sole purpose of testing some hypotheses uh, about, you know, or, or, or to answer your question, finding out the best way of starting and then, and then spreading automation throughout your organization. And there was a very extremely good paper on this produced by Everest Group. And they call it the RPA playbook. So that takes organizations from pilot, you know, just trying this stuff out. No one does POCs anymore, by the way. Uh, a POC, a, pr- a proof of concept, is, is, is something where you're not sure whether the technology is going to work. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter where you go and who you use, the technology works. You don't need to be a POC. But the pilot, uh, you know, go from pilot to what they call pinnacle. And pinnacle means that automation is spread throughout the entire organization. And there are very few organizations at that stage, by the way, at the moment. So that step-by-step guide uh, is, is available um, actually for free from our uh, website from uipath.com. So if you look up, the, or in fact, Google it, you know, uh, Everest um, RPA playbook, that'll, uh, that'll come up. And then we did uh, some with Forrester, uh, which was on combining RPA and AI and what that would mean. We did another one, Forrester, on employee engagement because you know in, in, we had to make sure that uh, that employees were going to be comfortable with with the use of technology, these type of technologies, this sort of digital transformation and automation within their organisation. And that was very very interesting, um, which we can talk to talk a bit about. Uh, and then uh, Everest did another one, which was about um, uh, how you combine RPA and AI. So that was the playbook too. 
And uh, in shortly, uh, in the next month or so, we're, our IDC um, are doing one on a robot for every person, a robot for every worker. So these, all of these, this research, both qualitative and quantitative, is really useful for organizations thinking about going through this journey. Good. And it's not by us, you know, <laughs> it's independent. So now we have uh, reading material and, and some, uh, do you have some examples about cutting edge scenarios uh, using RPA today? Yeah, I mean, the, um, a lot's happened actually in healthcare, uh, unsurprisingly, given the world in which we now live. So latterly, healthcare organizations have uh, been using automation as much as they possibly can, because of course, they've had to cope with uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic. And so a lot of the cutting edge stuff is actually happening within healthcare. And in fact, what we're also seeing is that those organizations that are, that are most mature and have gained the most experience, an interesting thing is happening. It's, they're actually commercializing their RPA offering. So they're actually starting to sell RPA um, knowledge and technology and services to other people with other organizations within, within the healthcare market. So uh, two examples of that is that uh, Cleveland Clinic in the US is, uh, is uh, starting a commercialization of its RPA operation. And in fact, um, there is another organization called Amitech, which are in joint venture with Mercy Hospital to do exactly the same. But that's not just tied to healthcare. One of the other organizations that are doing this is actually in Spain, um, and it's Orange, uh, the telco. And they've uh, made their um, operation so efficient that they, they've now sold a part of that capability to actually a Spanish bank. So what I'm expecting to happen uh, over the next uh, few years is that instead of these automation and RPA operations um, just saving their company money, they will actually be turned into a profit-making operation or potentially could be made into a profit-making operation. So the cost of doing the automation essentially becomes zero over time. And that's very exciting. Yeah, it is. And um, this is also kind of moving between different, uh, different verticals and different uh, silos, which makes me dig or want to understand a bit more about the technology behind the, the software that you're building. So you've mentioned low-code, no-code, how important it is as part of the uh, overall uh, stuff yeah i mean we, our entire platform is built on dotnet actually it's workflow foundation and so you know we are wedded to the microsoft sort of ecosystem if you like so um uh, that, that has some interesting things so you know you can now run uh, office 365 type applications without actually having office 365 on uh, the uh, your machine or on the machine that, that it's running on which is interesting but it also means that uh, many of our uh, of our Customers are now moving to cloud, as a lot of customers are moving to cloud anyway, you know, around the world because of, uh, because of COVID. And uh, a lot of that's being built on Azure. So that's, uh, that relationship we've got with, with Microsoft is, is extremely strong, which is interesting because um, Microsoft is one of the organizations that's actually moving into the RPA market. And uh, along with sort of SAP and, uh, and IBM have, have recently acquired organizations, uh, sort of competitors, if you like, of ours uh, to move into that market. But, uh, but you know, Microsoft is, is, a, is a master of uh, co-opetition, I think is the word, uh, where they, uh, they compete in, in certain areas and then cooperate in others. So that's a good example. So the technology itself is, um, 
Uh, as I said, it consists of the bit of software to actually develop the robot. That's called Studio. Then you've got the robots themselves. That's both unattended, as I mentioned, to do the stuff you never want to see again, and attended to help you to do the stuff you do want to do. And that's all controlled by Orchestrator. Orchestrator is the, um, is, you can think of it like a team leader. So it, it controls the, the, which robot does which work. And then surrounding that, you've got all of the elements necessary to automate a, a long-term processes, long-time processes, and to go broad and deep. So there's, you know, there's discovery, which is the process understanding stuff I mentioned before. There is analytics, there is measurement, there is you know, everything that you need to build a business internally that will allow you to automate you know, much more broadly across, not only within your organization, but even across ecosystems as well. So speaking about cross uh, ecosystems and, and integration, So what's the difference between this and, and I don't know, uh, an API gateway? The difference is that it's not machine to machine, but it's machine UI to UI to machine, um, if you think about that. And IT always says that as a bit clunky. You know, it's always as a, sort of a dirty fix, effectively, and, uh, which it was, to be fair. But the, the, it managed to goo systems together. The, the, there was no way they were going to set up APIs between those two systems or it was going to be too expensive or too complex or it was going to take too long. So RPA was, a, was, was potentially seen as a stopgap. But actually what's happened inevitably, uh, as it turns out, is that the, once that stopgap's in place, then it removes the business case for replacing it with a bright, shiny new system in the first place. So it allows organizations to work more fluidly and use their resources more intelligently rather than just going on the bandwagon of, total, of, of, of constant upgrades. So much so, actually, that Oracle and SAP, who were initially threw up their hands in horror at the idea of all these software robots doing the work that humans were doing and therefore have, you know, much more effectively and efficiently. So um, they, they would end up having to do more work for, for lower licenses. Actually now see RPA as being the perfect way of uh, doing the final, final mile, meter, inch integration to all the plethora of different software systems that their customers have got. Because they found that RPA is actually you know, a perfect way of doing that because it's cheaper, faster, and easier for them to, to do that using RPA than it is to do it using APIs. That's why SAP bought uh, a French organization called Contexta Uh, although they still use uh, UiPath as well, and why Oracle baked UiPath into its process cloud solutions business to act as that integration layer effectively. Got you. You mentioned earlier the, um, the UX also is, is something very fundamental here and is a key element in the future solution. So can you maybe elaborate a bit more about that, why UX is so fundamental and how is it... Uh, And how do you see it as, as we move forward in the industry? Yeah, I mean, our, our chief exec and, and co-founder, Daniel Dinez, um, describes the world of the no application. And that sort of makes sense because when, when someone moves to a new job, um, they've got to learn the way that that organization works. A friend of mine called Ian Barkin described it as, as process sediment. Uh, you know, it builds up over, over decades in the same way that sedimentary rock builds up over millions of years at the bottom of the sea. And so people have to come in and learn that stuff um, and learn the way that organizations, are, uh, their systems work and how they interact and what they have to do for their job. But frankly, you know, an individual worker coming into their work, 
that's a bit of a ball egg. You know, why, why would you have to do that when you can get the automation, get the robot to do a lot of that gluing the systems together so that you just do your job and you never see, in, in potentially, you never see the application that sits underneath. You never see Salesforce or you never see um, Oracle. You never see SAP because that all happens in the background. So what that drives is, is funny enough, it's good UX, but it's also good EX. So it's good employee experience because they don't have to do that. And that, again, will then lead to good CX, so good customer experience. Um, a great quote that we got from one of, our, one of the chief executives of, our, um, of one of our customers, he said, and this is an insurance business, he said, um, you know, since we put in automation, the mood music of our business has changed. We uh, have happier employees and we now measure our service in terms of compliments rather than complaints. <laughs> now, I use that quote the whole time because it's brilliant because it's nothing to do with technology. That's all about culture change. That's all about future of work stuff, which is, which is fantastic. Great. Yeah. Now, drink with us, like take us three, five years down the road. Where are we going to be in this? Uh, where is the industry is shaping to become in the automation and RPAs? Yeah, I think, I, I think there are several directions, the several sort of um, alternative futures, essentially. And it's very interesting if you look at the development of the, of the RPA market, you've got the, the sort of three leaders, who I should, which I mentioned. So it's uh, uh, Blue Prism, Automation Anywhere, and UiPath. Uh, and by the way, I, it's in that order uh, because a guy called Alex Gessels, who worked for WorkFusion, um, described uh, RPA as the new BAU, a new business as usual. And that was appropriate because the B was Blue Prism, the A was Automation Anywhere, and the U was UiPath, um, which was just, you know, one of those coincidences that work really well. There are a whole series of, of challenger organizations that, are, that are, uh, provide RPA and, and associated technologies that if you look at the Forrester Wave or the Gartner Magic Quadrant or the, or the Everest Peak or the IDC Marketscape, they were called, they're all basically the same thing. They're just called different things. You see all those number of organizations in there. I think what's going to happen, and we're already starting to see this, is that the, the major ISVs, the big independent software vendors, are going to pile into the RPA market. So we've already, started, as I mentioned, we've already seen IBM come in. They bought a company called WDG. Uh, SAP bought Contexta. Microsoft bought uh, Soft Emotive. Kofax bought Kapow. Um, uh, Pega bought OpenSpan. You know, they, those, the, the challenge organizations, I think, to all of them are going to get acquired by the big companies. So we've seen those organizations come in. I think it's not going to be too long before we see organizations like Amazon and Google and Salesforce come into the RPA market as well. So that's, I think that's going to happen over the next year or so. And then any, it's, it's anyone's guess. But I think if, we, if we're right that everyone's going to have their own robot, everyone's going to have their own software robot, then, then Daniel Dinez, our, our chief exec and co-founder who I mentioned, you know, his description of we're working in a category that reshapes the way people work, I think will come to fruition. And that will have a fundamental impact on, on what we understand work to be. Uh, and that's fairly fundamental. Well, we'll wait for a year and we'll see how things turn out. <laughs> well, it's not going to happen in a year, but it will happen ultimately, I think. Sure. Now, I'm a CIO. I've listened to this podcast. I'm shaking my head. I said, look, I didn't start yet. Um, I need to do something with RPA. Um, I need to do something in this field. 
what should be the areas I should be focused on besides immediately going to uh, your uh, website and downloading some reading materials, but the next day? Well, actually, the, the, the most effective way of starting is to, is to find a, uh, a community of the willing within the organization. They could be in IT, they could be in the business. Um, actually, the most efficient way of, of building and scaling automation throughout your organization, if you're a CIO, is to build a center of excellence, uh, COE, or some, some organizations call it a robotic operations center. But whatever you, whatever you call it, it's a group of people that, that controls the governance and the compliance and security and rollout and all the rest of it. That's, that's, that central team should probably sit in, in uh, unless there's a reason why it shouldn't, should probably sit in IT, be controlled by IT, because they, you know, they're used to doing that. And then you have the, this community of the willing, the, the sort of evangelists, if you like, who want to automate their own bits of their own work and then show their colleagues what they're doing. So you end up with what, what's known as a hub-and-spoke COE model. So you've got the central governance structure, but then on the outside in all the business units, you've got these, these, this community of people that automate something. And then their, their colleague looks over their shoulder and goes, you know, what's that? What's it doing? And, and what's that and what's it doing very rapidly turns into, can I have one? And that's the best way of doing it. And actually, that community of the willing, um, by accident, we found this out, is probably already existing within every organization because it's the gamers. It's the people who play board games and video games because they're absolutely perfect at building robots. They're persistent. They're problem solvers. Uh, they like pizza. You know, all of the things that are necessary to, to, to build robots. And uh, so, but uh, I'm serious. You know, gamers within organizations are definitely the people you want to bring into that, into that COE because they are, they're absolutely ideal. One of our customers found that out by accident. Uh, and only after he went to the different business units and said, you give me your smartest person, I'll give you smart robots back. And they did, and they all turned out to be gamers. Are there uh, specific don'ts, things that you should uh, make sure that we are not uh, doing? Or Yeah, don't keep it a secret. As I said, I, I spent many years in outsourcing. And you know, if you kept the outsourcing a secret, then everyone were worried about their jobs going, to, going off to India or, or wherever. So communication is really, really important. Uh, communication with all employees about, you know, what the future holds in terms of the ability to augment rather than replace, I suppose, uh, your, uh, your work. Also, um, things like hackathons and roadshows. And uh, we have something called the Immersion Lab where teams can come in and have a look at all of the, the art of the possible, basically. Those things are really good to do. I mean, you know, we used to do those you know, in person, of course. Uh, but now we do, we do them more virtually, and, uh, which means that we do, you know, Boris Krumery, who, who runs that bit of the business, is incredibly busy as organizations do this uh, more and more and more. So um, the other don'ts is um, don't ignore IT, just because it's a business, generally a business sell, business buy, effectively, as opposed to an IT buy. You have to involve IT from day zero, from, from day one. Otherwise, the, the IT will just put up barriers. And in fact, we've had, we've had one, one circumstance where we got thrown out of a customer because uh, IT felt that, uh, that our platform was too easy to use and they replaced it with something that was more difficult. And then the business complained that it was too difficult and they said, exactly, it means we can control it. So that relationship with IT is really, really important. Are there specific um, security-related topics that needs to be looked at? No, I mean, that's always been a really, really interesting question. You know, the robots themselves, um, obviously... 
are moving information very rapidly, but they have no memory. So, um, and of course, they don't understand what they're looking at. So they don't really understand what they're looking at. So, you know, there's actually less of a security issue than there is with humans looking at that information. Secondly, the security of the IT uh, and the systems and so on is already built into the security of, of the operation anyway. So the robots don't do anything to damage that. Um, and, you know, for extra assurance, then, you know, all of the, all of the, um, the data in transit and at rest is, is massively secured. So we're, we're almost uh, came to an end, and I would like to add maybe to, to ask you the last uh, question related to, are you using this technology in your personal life? Ha, that's a really good question. I'm a marketing person. And so therefore, I'm talking to you using a Mac. Um, so yes, automation does work, but it only works over, uh, over parallels. We're working on automation that will work entirely over the, um, over the browser. So I will be using it then. I do automate a lot of my work that then sits on Windows machines, but because I'm a Mac user, although we are now um, uh, working on uh, Linux uh, as a native application as well. So um, we're not there yet, but that hopefully come out next year. But uh, so no, as a as a um, as a uh, you know filthy marketeer, then uh, then then max my world. I'm afraid. <laughs> so at least for now, we'll continue to speak. Uh, at, uh, you know, yeah, without robots uh, replacing us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm waiting for GPT three to uh, to to take over my job. You know, I have what what I would term as the best job and the worst job title in the world. So I have the best job because I get to you know talk and more importantly listen. To people about, you know, from customers and partners and analysts and, and so on, and feed that back into the company, which is, which is fantastic. It, it's the worst job title because as chief evangelist, I, I get an inordinate number of people on LinkedIn. So they're, they're so pleased that Jesus has entered my life. And I have to explain, I'm not really that type of evangelist. <laughs> well, Guy, it was a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Abishai, it's been, it's, been a, it's been lovely to talk to you. And thank you very much for thinking of me. Thank you. Take care. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Charlotte, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.